fright rags, horror apparel, and accessories. <laughs> if you're a horror fan, then Fright Rags is the place for you. Fright Rags has been bringing you the best in horror apparel and accessories since 2003. Officially licensed collections, including fan favorites such as Halloween, The Evil Dead, Creepshow, and tons more. No matter what type of horror you are into, Fright Rags has you covered head to toe. Offering a wide range of exclusive products from your favorite creature features, slasher flicks, and cult classics. Metal Hand of God listeners get 10% off when they use the code MHOG10 at the checkout. So don't miss out on your favorite horror apparel and accessories you can only get from Fright Rags. That's fright-rags.com. And remember, use MHOG10 at the checkout for 10% off your purchase at frightrags.com. <laughs> And welcome back to the Metal Hand of God podcast. I am your host, Wayne, and that fine Why gentleman you over there. like the Keeper? I don't know! <laughs> I'm Wayne, and that is... The Rum Guy. And today... So weird. And today we have an amazing guest. He's returning once again to our beloved show. Our really good friend, Mr. Parrish Randall. What's up, man? Hey, guys. I'm happy to be here. Happy to be here, uh... Always enjoy doing doing your show. It's a it's a kick-ass good time. You you guys are friends, man. Friends to the genre and uh, and friends to me. Hey, I come on your show. I just get the bullshit. That's right. That's what it's all about, man. Just kind of hanging out and just talking about life, everything. You know, just hanging out. That's man. it. That's it. That's well, what friends well, do. That's it. Exactly. And. Uh, speaking of things moving on and everything, yes. the, the as we were talking off off air about uh, you know everything in the world going on and things are starting to pick up. How is it working for you? I, I know the a uh, lot of uh, the uh, movie industry and, and the film industry is starting to uh, come come back onto the scene. I mean, what what's going on with you? I heard you're in uh, in maybe post production or pre production for a, a new movie. Well, there's several things going on. Yeah, you know, I was in the middle of a, an anthology uh, horror film when, in late February, I guess it was. You know, everything I got the call; it was shut down. And uh, sure, as we were talking about this earlier with the COVID crisis, uh, all the productions just, I mean, slammed shut like everything else. I mean, and it it had to be. Uh, so. Now that everything's opened back up, I was able to go back and uh, and finish my my stint on that anthology. Thriller. Awesome. And uh, I'm in pre-production with Billy Pond yes. uh, on uh, Cowboys from Hell. And uh, very fortunate and thrilled to be a part of that, both as an actor as well. Uh, Billy has uh, brought me in as a producer on the film. Oh, so, wow. Very cool. 
which is something I, I, I enjoy as well. Okay, um, you know I, I like the collaborative process, um, and when you are producing, you're working closely with a lot of different people. You know, and uh, uh, the director being the primary person you're going to, but uh, ultimately you get to work. Uh, I don't know, just with the. Uh, with several different folks involved in the production, you're doing, you're multitasking. And then also for me, you know, I'm playing Butch, Butch Jarek uh, in the film. And uh, I've read portions of the script because Billy is a, Billy is perfecting the script. I mean, Billy is that perfectionist. That's what makes him a good filmmaker. Okay. And uh, ultimately, the character he's written that he's cast me to play, I, yeah, I love this fucking character. I do. It's, it's, <laughs> he's a he's a guy who's uh, well, I don't want to say too much, but let's just say he's he thinks he's uh, one hell of a cool cat, uh, and he just sort of misses the mark. Okay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like rum. I get it completely. Yeah, just look. Yeah, yeah. But you know, <laughs> after I did uh, the comedy horror film hair metal shotgun zombie massacre uh that is the best name of a film ever and uh you know i played this crazy offbeat character in that film uh uh bob bastard anyway long story short i was scared initially before i did that film going into it playing this kind of like i don't know comedic half comedic half fuck up (laughs) <laughs> you know, whatever character, and uh, but it, I enjoyed it, that, you know, because I've never done comedy before that film, and uh, Cowboys from Hell is not a comedy by any means, but these misfit characters, I'm finding that I, I really enjoy playing misfits. Okay. <laughs> you yeah, know? you got you feel like you that you found your uh, your your cool well, character type type. Well, it, 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 I would think it would give you a little bit of uh, uh, freedom to yeah. to really flesh out your character and, and give him more of a personality in those type of roles. Well, it does. Hey, you know, I initially began, I guess, you know, my principal acting career playing villains, uh, with really? the quick and dead. Um, well, for the first five years, you know, from 2000 to 05, I was taking the acting classes and doing the extra work and all the things you do to try to get your foot in the door. And mm-hmm. in 05, I was, Fortunate to be cast as the lead villain in The Quick and the Undead, which was released by Anchor Bay Entertainment. And uh, it played, you know, L.A. Screen Fest picked it up. So I played Blythe Remington. It was a zombie western, okay? Nice. And, uh, That's cool. Ultimately, uh, I Blythe was a bad guy. And I, I love playing the villain because, again, like you said, Rum, with with. with Certain characters, a villain being one type of character, you have much more of a range to be colorful and I don't know, you know. Sure. Yeah. And ultimately, yeah. There, there was that period of time where I guess from God, oh five after after Quick and the Undead, uh, there was the Flesh Keeper, Slaughterhouse, all these films where I played villains. I love that, and then I reached a point where it was kind of like, now I want to play just an average guy, and thankfully. You know, with Jacob, which that mm-hmm. was a film uh, uh, that was directed by uh, Larry Carroll and uh, it had Michael Bean in it, uh, Jimmy Hampton, a lot of great folks. 
and I played a guy that was, you know, just an average guy, townsperson. I, I love that. And then in circus, you know, I played the, yep. the victim, the father. And so I, I got, I, I've had my taste of that now. Now I found that, okay, now these misfit characters I like. Okay. So <laughs> it's kind of like sampling that, that, I don't know, you, you know, those boxes of chocolates where you, where right. you, have you, can, you get types. a little bit of everything. Yeah. yeah. So I consider myself really lucky just to have that opportunity to sample these different characters. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of, uh, I, I met Michael Beam once. He seemed like a really nice dude. Like when I talked to him, he was, he was really down to earth. kind of a cool guy. Um, I've not, yes. I've not seen that movie that you, was it Jacob you said it was called? Jacob, yeah, and I apologize for my microphone. It's built into my computer, so. Oh no, you're, no, you're good. You're good. I, I saw Jacob uh, a few years ago. It, it was uh, it was a good movie. It it was a cool movie, uh, you know. Yeah. When I, I'd always wanted to do kind of that, just because I'm a big fan of the '80s slasher films. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it was an opportunity to be a slasher victim, and uh, I, I'd always wanted to just do a film that adhered to that 80s formula and uh i wanted to be that guy that got the axe to the head or the whatever <laughs> nice. you know and it and, and i got to do it you know now michael Ben, you know he he was awesome to work with i mean i i had like a couple of i guess we had two all night shoots that we worked together because they brought michael in pretty quickly and and you know he was there for I guess I want to say maybe a couple of nights because uh, they were night shoots. And, you know, then he was back to California. Right. Uh, I was brought in, I think, for five nights. And anyway, long story short, uh, Michael, my character, if you, you know, if you remember the film, uh, we ended up in the bar fight. And uh, there was a, a, a particular sequence where. I had to come out. My character owned this rusty nail saloon, this this Texas beer joint, mm -hmm. and uh, my character was to come from behind the counter and hit him over the upper shoulders and the back of the head, that area, with this baseball bat. And uh, <laughs> they had this, they had this effects baseball bat made out of balsa wood. Uh, and it was supposed so, to. It, so it was, it was. It was kind of soft then. Well, that's the thing. Uh, <laughs> I felt this thing, and I thought, if I swing this and hit him, it, it didn't feel soft enough to break. Okay. Right. And okay. I thought the last thing I want to do is, you know, <laughs> hurt. Be be the one that actually, you know, I don't know, sends Michael Ben to a hospital because I hit him with an effects bat that didn't break, right? I don't know, man. That would have been a good story. <laughs> no, uh, you never want to do that to any actor, any co-actor, and certainly, you know, I, I just didn't want to, you know, risk sure. it. Oh, and, of course, man. So I went to Larry and to Stacy Davidson, who was uh, also closely working with Larry. Stacy was the cinematographer as well. Uh, and I said, listen, this bat does, I, said, I don't think it's going to break. And they, they tended, they agreed with me. So actually I, I broke the bat in advance, you know, just with the knee and the two hands, I broke it. And then I, I held the bat together with my hand over the, you know, over, sure. you know, and so when I hit him, 
uh, you know, it looked like it broke, and they added their nice sound effect in post-production. It worked out well, you know. And then, you know, uh, then Michael and I got to do the fight scene, and I got slammed up on the bar, and, you know, he's strangling me. And, you know, listen, he's an actor like, like all actors who are trying to give their best, and, and you want to make it a scene like that where you're fighting. You want it to appear real. You create, right. you create the illusion of a fight that's violent. But like me, concerned about his safety, he was concerned about mine. Right. Uh, and so, you know, again, that that's what you want. You know, actors, I don't know, I'm, I'm of that opinion that as actors, you kind of got to look out for each other. Well, sure. Well, that makes sense because, I mean, you're going to work with them possibly in the future, and you certainly don't want any, any ill ill feelings or you know right. anything you like that. You don't want to be the guy who hit him in the head with the baseball bat. I get it. Correct, correct, correct. <laughs> that was a fun one. But one cool thing I want to throw in there about hair metal, and I, I'll just say hair metal to shorten the title. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It is now uh, a film that is about to, next month, open at numerous drive-ins and... Uh, no way. Walk-ins. Absolutely. Again, something that I would not or did not expect. Uh, you know, the film itself has Norman Reedus, who came in and did the opening narr- narration introduction, mm-hmm. as well as some narratives. Yeah, voiceovers throughout. Uh, oh gosh, uh, yeah, the lead singer of Slayers in the film. Yes. Uh, it's it, it's you know, it's a it's a cool little film, and uh, but I expected it to go eventually to you know. VOD and then DVD, Blu-ray, whatever. But I got the call from the director uh, a few weeks ago that uh, because obviously the uh, the film industry is lacking films, obviously to to actually play theaters. I mean, if you look, drive-ins that are open and such, they're playing films that are maybe six, seven, eight months old, right? Yeah, they're playing sure. older films. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of it was that perfect timing for the film group behind the hair metal movie to actually go out there and sort of take that good old fashioned four walling approach that Herschel Gordon Lewis and a lot of, you know, directors of the past had taken, which was to contact directly various distribution groups that provide films to theaters and uh, basically make a, a monetary offer that theaters were happy to go with. Okay. Yeah. Uh, They couldn't pass it up. We all know that when, you know, when Hollywood offers the big budget, you know, mainstream movies to these theaters, the theaters don't really make anything off of the movies themselves at the box office, which is why your popcorn is 25 bucks. (laughs) Right. That's why you put, when you go, I'll have a number three. Okay. That's $26. It's a Coke and a popcorn. Yeah. $26. But what the independent filmmakers are able to, to do here is to say, Hey, you know, we're, we're offering this film. For screening, and yeah. yes, you know there has to be a, a a reasonable, you know, I guess you'd say, you know, uh, compensatory cut for both of us. But independent filmmakers can make it much more lucrative for the drive-in as far as box office take. Oh yeah, you know? and that this is an amazing thing too because we talked a couple of weeks ago about uh, the drive-ins and the research of drive-ins because of things that have been going on in the world and i always said that this was a, a, a an awful thing when they started closing them but there are still some that are, that are there and there's actually in the state of north carolina right. like six six more drive-ins opening up so there's a research 
of the drive-in culture and those type of movies uh the the fun horror slasher flicks and and things like that those are the type of movies i remember going to yeah. my local drive-in to go see it was always like you'd have these amazing like independent films or these type of movies and then you know it, it just was amazing night and it was a little bit of it was a little bit of movie it was a little car, uh, car culture it was that whole thing and i really think that's what uh, the country needs is something to you know, to bring that because there's a whole generation missing out on that opportunity to to see some fun films at a drive-in movie theater. Yeah, I mean there there are drive-ins that uh, have popped up all over the the U.S. over the past I don't know ten years. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there's been a slow sort of you know rediscovery of drive-ins on behalf of a lot of people who had never been to drive-ins. Sure. Uh, and I think, as you say, with COVID and the social distancing, it's really expedited now that resurgence in their popularity. Uh, and, and like you said, when I was younger, going to the drive-in, you were going to go see something totally different from anything you'd see in the walk-in. Okay? Right. There were movies that were made specifically and exclusively pretty much to play at drive-ins. Uh, right. And those were those like, like what you mentioned, you know, the good slasher films or the, uh, you know, the rape revenge thrillers or the, uh, you name it, you know, the, those low budget sort of gritty films. I can go back and name titles like I Drink sure. Your Blood and Last House on the Left. And Spilling those are the films that were driving there. Okay. Yeah. And uh, not only did you get to see something different, but as you said, it also was kind of a community experience, man. You had your, you, you could take your beer, you could take your, you know, weed and whatever else you wanted back in the day and uh, it was a party man it wasn't just going and sitting in a chair and you know in a walk-in it was actually going somewhere where you could uh you were hanging out man you know you were and you you could commune uh, with with your friends and and basically it was a big tailgating experience and 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 hey you know let's face it uh a a lot of babies were made in (laughs) drive-in A lot of babies were made in drive-ins. It's true. You know, that, that's the other thing. Uh, you know, and that's something that during those years that drive-ins faded away almost totally, mm-hmm. I used to tell, you know, tell people, you know, I, I used to question what the hell is wrong with these, uh, you know, at that time when drive-ins have faded away with those kids that were, you know, I don't know, in in high school or college that, they they just didn't get it, you know. Come on, the drive-ins provided my generation, and I, I, I you know, my wife and I were dating, and we, you know, came of uh, age. I guess you might say during that last gasp of the drive-in era of the old days. Okay. Sure. And uh, during that time, man, that was the place you could you could take your girlfriend to be in the dark with her for a double feature, which was four hours with with all the trailers you were going to be in the car in the dark you got the back seat you know whatever and hell you yeah you had a hell of a good time okay (laughs) and guess what her parents didn't care because they said well he's taking her to the movies okay and i so i used to say before the drive-ins came back these these you know these younger kids that are dating age and and such i mean they they just didn't know what they were missing okay yeah absolutely we see nowadays the dating thing is way different than when we were growing up guys i mean it's weird like like you got like you know 14 12 between the ages of 12 and like 16 years old and they already know half more than shit than we ever did when we were that age 
You know what I mean? Like they've just because they're exposed to it all on the internet and and everything is in their face all the well, time. You, so it's 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 a different it's a different thing nowadays. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that's unfortunate. It really is. Like there's no innocence. There's no innocence, you know what I mean? No, no. I remember, yeah, you know, I was having this conversation with uh huh, oddly enough, you know, my 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 aunt the, <laughs> a while back. She's one of those that says, you know, all yeah, she's the internet has provided you know, just what you said, young kids with, you know, too much access to too much information, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I tend to agree, you know, because I remember when I was, you know, hey, come on, when we were 11, 12, 13, I mean, as young, young, young guys, we, we sure. certainly become interested in, you know, trying to seek out you know, information. Like oh, yeah, that for that. sure. Uh, absolutely. When I was 11 and 12, to lay my hands on a Playboy mm-hmm. or a Hustler magazine, man, I had to go through an act of Congress, okay? Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was like I had to wait. There was a lady at a convenience store where I used to live, or I, my parents, where they used to live, and I was maybe 11. When there was nobody else in the store, she would sell me a Playboy. Nice. I'm, I'm a, this 11-year-old kid, right? And uh, so I remember, like, I'd go to this convenience store and I'd, I'd sit on my bicycle for like, I don't know. Sometimes if it was crowded, you know, you'd sit there and sit there for an hour waiting just for that opportunity. Okay. Nobody's in the store. Go in, you know, and, right. and get your magazine. And uh, now kids, all they have to do is, man, they just, they got their mobile phone and <laughs> all you got to do is press three little buttons or whatever they want to see. And it's over. And, and you know, that's, I'm not so sure. Yeah, no, that's that's not a good thing. Okay, uh, no, it isn't. I mean, it really it, it's it's taking away a little bit of the uh, the fun. I mean, the whole the whole well the whole part the whole point I think of for in my opinion of growing up was it was learning by living it. You yeah, know what I mean, yeah, you learned I mean. it to live it. You know, now I mean it, that sort of stuff. What like finding out about you know. The, the birds and the bees on your freaking phone is just dumb. But uh, there, there's young kids out there right now that are like, you know, uh, like, like my niece. My niece talked to my, uh, my sister-in-law and said uh, she, was, she was all concerned about the economy. I'm like, You're, the economy? You don't even know what economy is. Wow. She, was having, she was sitting there having a fit. And she, you know, I'm like, really? I mean, this, these kids shouldn't be worrying about this shit. No. This is adult stuff. That's the reason why there's things that are adult stuff. And things that are kid stuff, and they should just be left that way for as long as they can. Don't shelter them, you know, too much. But you right, know, there's a right. there's a bit of real reality they need to be hit with early. But in the same sense, there's some stuff that, like when they fucking do the 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 naked marches down the streets for whatever protest they're doing at the time. I'm like, I don't want my if I have a kid, I don't want my kid seeing that right now. Right. I mean, exactly. it's I mean, just I, weird. I've always said there's plenty of time to be the adult and have all the worries and the, you know, all the things that come with adulthood. Okay. Sure. Uh, Making a living, worrying about paying the bills, all those things. There's plenty of time for that. Be a kid for as long as you can. Okay. That's that's a fun time right there. And and, uh, I've always believed that, you know, now when your kid does become, I guess, you know, curious about certain things, as a parent, you know, if, if you're lucky enough to have that relationship with your kid where your kid comes and actually talks to you as opposed mm-hmm. to 
going to the internet, <laughs> which you hope he will talk to, he or she will talk to you. Yeah, I uh, hope so. You know, I've always believed that when your kid asks you a question about something, whatever that subject matter may be, only answer that question. I don't give any more, don't give any less. Be honest and answer the question. And answer it in that way that you want or you know as a parent is going to best arm your kid with the appropriate amount of knowledge to protect him or herself, okay? Right. And build upon that. The internet is like, man, like like Wayne said, once you push three buttons, it's all over. of their yeah. questions are answered and, and a and whole lot some. of questions they don't even have yet. And suddenly they're seeing things that are, oh, let's face it, guys, come on. If you go on there and you log on and you watch internet porn, you know, you're seeing a representation of what is what is sex that it's not. Come on. No. You know, it, it, yeah, it's true. Yeah. That's true. No. You, you're seeing you're seeing a, uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, Do you, what what are you talking about? You mean it, it just doesn't happen? I, I just have to be delivering a pizza and <laughs> yeah, I knock on the door. Right, there's right. five naked the girls there. And you're in the hospital, and the nurse comes in, and she's Jenna Jameson back in the right, day. Right, right, you know, right. belts and a little short dress on. I you thought know, that's how that happened. doesn't work that way. I mean, so it gives you a skewed, you know, if you're young and you don't realize that adult entertainment is just that, adult entertainment. If you're watching pornography at a young age, I think it gives you a, a, a skewed idea of what Life is. You know, sex is, okay? Mm-hmm. And that can be not a good thing, you know. No, uh, yeah, that, that can really damage you later on for sure. Right, right. You know, I think uh, the first thing that, uh, you know, you, you hear a lot of people say, and again, I'm not anti-adult film entertainment. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that. But I think it's adult film entertainment. It's called sure. adult film entertainment for a reason. It's for right. Absolutely. It's just like It's just like the uh, WWE, right? Right, but right. it's not yeah. real. It's it's just it's for it's real. for your entertainment. These guys aren't beating the living shit out of each about? other. It's not real. It's, <laughs> it's not like they're really punching each other in the face, you know. I mean, what? some of the people in the adult entertainment are actually punching each other in the face with things, but it's it's a complete <laughs> different. That's <laughs> a complete different angle. Yeah, I, I have seen some adult entertainment out there that I'm thinking, you know, it, it, I mean, it's it's like borderline unhealthy come yeah. on oh yeah i hope they pay those people well yeah it's well yeah you know i'm thinking do they have stunt doubles for some of that shit you know, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know how that industry is going to pop back when you have the you know social distancing and stuff like that yeah really really big people if you can i don't know you know and i, I vr know, i know a few of the ladies who back in the 80s were adult performers mm-hmm. and you know, I've had some conversations with them, and as they stated to me, it used to be a totally different industry. Okay, oh, yeah. uh, now it's it's like everything else. It's like adult films have reached that point at which I guess each film is trying to top the other in subject matter and in content and what they can do. Okay. Uh, and I know we're getting way off topic here. <laughs> no, no, this is great. This is what, this is what we do. Term, but yeah, it's, kind, it's, kind, it's kind of like, okay, in the 80s, you had adult entertainment that presented, well, hardcore sex in as far as, you know, a guy, a gal, or whatever you had, okay? Now you've got, you know, 
you've got films that have to top all that. So you've got, well, you've got The Gal and Ren Tin Tin. And you, you know, <laughs> I was going to say. And, you know, I don't know. It's like, okay, so. so Bring in the know, goat. What? It's, it's scary, you know. And I'm thinking, I don't know. There comes a point where yeah, I, I, I will just say this. I would not, if, yeah, I wouldn't want my kid, if I had a kid, I would not want my kid to have a smartphone that would enable him or her to just go on and see all that crap. Okay? No, like I told right. my wife, my son's not getting a smartphone. Like he's not getting one. He has a tablet, but it's a kid's tablet, and you yeah. can't, and he can't go anywhere unless it's the stuff that we put on it. And right. that's all right. he can. And the only time he's ever um, plays with my phone or her phone is when he goes to YouTube to watch his little YouTube shows, and that's it. Like I won't let him do anything else. He doesn't, you know get to well, yeah, play on the internet just, i mean you got to be an aggressive parent sometimes like that and that's that's good though that's that's what you should do you know exactly. I mean, you know and, and listen you know all kids i was saying i'll tell you know i may have told you guys the story before i can't recall when i was like 12 13 i guess i had a super eight millimeter sound projector right nice mm-hmm. and i found i collected all i've got all these films on 16 millimeter and super eight i've got i had two different projectors uh, everything from Jaws to The Exorcist that back then, pre-VHS even, you could buy the entire... They came on like eight, nine, ten reels, right? Right, right. Wow. Yeah. But I, I'm i 13, I want to say 13, uh, and I found an ad where I could purchase the full-length version of the triple X-rated classic Deep Throat. Okay? No shit. So like any 13-year-old red-blooded American male... What did I do? I ordered that film in my father's name. Okay. Good job. Yeah. And uh, it was summertime, so I went to the mailbox every day to make sure I got the mail first. And I actually, I got the film. My dad had a business, and that business that he had, uh, it required him to have like about four different warehouses. And he would let me set up my projector in any one of his warehouses over weekends to show what he thought was Jaws or certain <laughs> other films. Well, that summer I got deep throat, let me tell you. I set that projector up, and I charged all my little friends five bucks a throw. Oh, wow. And I made a ton of money that, that summer. Yep, it worked. I, I mean, yeah, hey. Hey, dude, look, I, I kind of did the same thing, man. We, we'd skip school a couple times, and, and my friends would come over and uh, – I'd put these VHSs on of this porn and charge them five, ten bucks to come in and watch them. You know, I, I was a 13 year old little entrepreneur, I guess. You know, yeah. I was like, hey, you know, you heard about it on the news. They're, they're raiding all the theaters that are showing this film, and they were at the time. I mean, and uh, I said, but you can see it right in my backyard in my dad's warehouse. That's funny. Now, when my cool. dad subsequently found out I was doing this, he beat the hell out of me. So. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know. He should have been proud, too. You made a good penny. Yeah, I made a good penny. I told him I made more money than he did that summer. So, no. yeah. <laughs> oh, God. And I'm sure he beat your ass even more. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then that probably wasn't the right thing to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was the 13-year-old That was the thirteen year old asshole. And yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep, yeah, you're right. So, But anyway, you know, so all kids are going to be, you know, curious and all. But I think as parents, yeah, you're right. You know, you, you've got to draw that line. And you've got to say, you know, when it comes to smartphones and things like that, there are limits as to what you can access yeah. or can't oh, access. Yeah. And well, what, anyway, what type of film is 
tell us a bit, uh, if you can, just a little bit, if you, if you can, about the uh, Cowboys from Hell movie. What, t- what type of entertainment are we looking at uh-huh. right there? Cowboys from Hell is, you know, again, it's the brainchild of Billy Pond, and uh, you've seen Circus. So, yep. you know, Billy, Billy is a, a guy who is a genius when it comes to taking a genre that already exists, yet creating a story that turns that genre upside down and basically just, you know, gives you something that you've never seen before and totally don't expect, right? Okay. And that's what Cowboys is. Cowboys from Hell takes the Western genre and stays true to what is the Western genre, but injects into it a very Tarantino-esque style of horror that you haven't seen yet. Okay, and uh, it's got some, and again, reading the script, it's got some things in there that I guarantee you will will shock you as much and more so than Circus did. Okay, all right, I like that. I like that. And 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 the great thing that's the great thing about working with Billy. Billy is a guy who's he's very humble and he hates it when I brag on him. But as a writer. And as a filmmaker, Billy's not going to, he's not going to put anything out there until A, he deems it to be as perfect as he feels it can be. Okay. Good. Yeah. And he's also not going to put anything out there that is just more of the same, a copy of, you know, he's not going to put anything out there that's just another ripoff of, of, you know, 300 other films that right, yeah, yeah. you know what i mean billy is a firm believer that the genre is one where there's room to still tell new and innovative stories to invent yeah right and so that's exactly what what uh, he's done with circus and that's what he's doing with cowboys and uh, so and cowboys has a uh, a really cool cast uh and i can't go so far as to announce those names that haven't already been announced. You right. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Sure. But, uh, I can tell you that you'll see a lot of people in there that, uh, a lot of people in there that you've seen in a lot of maybe Western films from yesteryear, as well as, yeah, a, a lot of, you know, familiar horror faces. And that's uh, really it's, cool. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a really neat story and I, I'm excited to do it. Excited to be a part of it. Yeah. Now, well, the, now the filming is all going to be in Texas. I'm assuming it's Western, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and again, Billy is, is a firm believer as well in, in shooting in Texas because, you know, you, you really can't, you can't duplicate the look and feel of Texas if you shoot a film in, I don't know, another state, okay? Sure. It's been, you know, listen, filmmakers have tried this, and uh, I watched a lot of films that, well, they, you know, they're supposed to be set in Texas. In fact, I was watching one the other night. I won't say the name. Uh, and uh, the film was supposed to be set in Dallas. And there was a scene that was supposed to be taking place in Gar- in Garland, Garland, Texas, which is sort of, you know, one of the suburbs of Dallas or, you know, yeah. part mm-hmm. of that Metroplex area. And uh, the people in the film were running from a threat. And... As they're running, I recognize, holy crap, the Garland area set was the same set in California where, 
where we film Quick and the Undead, okay? Oh, it's great. Uh, oh, it's hysterical. You can, the, you can see the big California hills in the background and all. I'm thinking, okay, maybe other people don't notice, but, you know, Well, people from Yeah, people who live in the area know it's not. The, like when I watch these movies that are supposedly in New Orleans, and I'm going, that is not New Orleans, guys. Uh, right, you know, and then my favorite, my favorite thing about a a, a a movie that someone says they're from New Orleans or from Louisiana is the every one of them sound like they're from fucking swamp people. I know what is this deal about the damn you know accents? It's 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 uh, <sighs> I've noticed every film that's set in the South, whether it's Texas or New Orleans, <laughs> yep. They all want to go to this extreme with. Come action. on, y'all! No, it's not. No, we don't talk like but that. I watch films that are set in Texas, but shot somewhere else, and and the guy comes out, and the first thing is, you know, what we have here is a complete lack of respect for the law. You know that kind of thing, and we don't speak that way. Okay. Uh, no. Thinking, I don't. This is. I'm not. I've lived in Texas. I grew up in Texas. You know, we have an accent, no doubt. But oh yeah, it's not that extreme. Come on, you know. Uh, I don't know. I think, I think films that are shot in California or anywhere else that are set in Texas, they should have that dialogue coach, somebody who actually knows. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know, man. It's so crazy, like to listen to some of these people, like saying they're I'm from Nowlands. No, no, no. What does that mean? What is Nowlands? Well, you know, it's it's that thing. It's it's obviously you you know, the people are trying hard to imitate this what is a blanket kind of you know southern accent. They, They just you know the South. Okay, there's that southern accent, and they draw from films that. I don't know, you know, whether it's films like Gone with the Wind that were made in back in, you know, 1939 where everybody spoke, you know, I don't know. Uh, and, and by the way, those people were not from the South either, <laughs> you know, you know, uh, it's just, I don't know that it's like they haven't really evolved. And as far as trying to actually pinpoint and, and, and get right these, these Southern accents, uh, Judon Baker you know, you guys know who played yeah. Buster. He's a friend of mine, and that's something that really gets under his skin too. He and I talk about it. He's he he is a guy who he loves different accents, but he can tell you, no matter the geographical area, he can tell you if the accent is correct or not. Okay. Wow, that's cool. And so, <laughs> watching a movie with him that's set anywhere in the South, he is like pointing out <laughs> all the. <laughs> flaws and all the well the, that you know they don't talk that way and joe don also came from an era himself where when you know he began in films and he did walking tall he did some films before that uh as well you know accents he came from texas so casting directors and agents and they actually encouraged people to keep their accents back then okay yeah that's what he's told me, uh, because it, it sort of made you unique and it distinguished you from the pack. Uh, now it's more a case of the first thing they try to do is to tell you to develop more of a generic accent. And uh, that way you're not limiting yourself, as they say. Uh, 
you know, I, I don't know. It's kind of like, you know, so you, you develop a generic accent and then you're thrust into a film where you're supposed to have this dialect from, I don't know, Georgia, Louisiana, or maybe even New York. Maybe you're a Southerner trying to play a New Yorker. Right. Well, yeah, you need a dialogue coach. Come on. Yeah, I, I agree, man. Because there's a, like I said, there's a lot of uh, people out there that shouldn't be doing the accents that they're doing because it's not good. It's just not. It's and it's not no, correct. No, no. And you know, I was watching the film the other night. You know, my wife and I. Uh, it was a film that was set in America but shot in Australia. Nice. <laughs> Which you know, it's great. I love. I love Australian films. I love British films. You know, but as you know, these folks were trying to speak with American accents. Yeah, you know, it's like inevitable that Australian Aussie accent would slip through, right? Yeah, it comes out a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, not saying they didn't do a good job, but it's just, I don't know. I, I, I'm one of those people that I notice those same things, you know. And I, I don't think you can always, again, it's like, you know, the old saying, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. All right. If you have that. Louisiana accent or that Texas accent, it's going to come out, okay? And you have to work really diligently to sort of, you know, prevent that from happening if, if you've got a director who's saying, don't do it, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, totally. I completely understand. Um, we have lost Rum. He's here. He can hear us. He's in the dark. Uh-oh. But He's his, somewhere out there. But his, uh, his mic has died. I understand um, that. Um it is it is croaked out on him, so I don't know what's going on with that. Uh, he's still trying to work on getting it fixed. Oh. I, d I just wanted to let you know what was going on. Yeah, no, no, no I understand. Hey, technical difficulties. Yeah, chat. yeah. So Parrish, I mean, I know you're getting ready to do this movie, uh, with Billy and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Uh and I do know you're a huge movie buff. Like like you've always told us that you you're like if there's any movies anybody I know. Oh, I can ask about a movie, it would be you. Sure. So I, I'm just wondering, like, you said you were doing all this time that you've been off. I want to know what film have you watched since you've been just hanging out at with your wife and stuff? Anything anything new and exciting? Well, you know, there was one new film that I really enjoyed called Becky. All right. Mm -hmm. uh, Kevin, Kevin James, who... who uh, who plays on the sitcom, uh, who did, you know. Uh, yeah, King of Queens. Film. King of Queens, yeah. You know, it's a, a film where Kevin James plays a uh, a villain, all right? Oh, wow, okay. He and three other guys break out of prison and uh, converge on this cabin where a father and his daughter and the father's fiance and her child, they've gone there for a getaway, essentially, and... Uh, Becky is a 13-year-old child who who essentially witnesses some horrific things as she's outside when these bad guys converge, okay? Yeah. And uh, well, let's just say that I don't want to give anything away, but what made the film unique was that Becky is not your average 13-year-old. She's not Carrie. <laughs> she has no telekinetic power. Right, right, right. She, she stood up and uh, said, fuck this, and she kicked ass. It, it, so it was really unique to see this, you know, this movie about this kid. 
Very this cool. little girl, thirteen, who who, yeah, who essentially put Rambo to shame. <laughs> you know, that's fucking great. Rum now, told. So, aside from those, I you know what I've really spent a lot of time watching. Uh huh. Back and I've watched classics, man. Well, you yeah, know? I know you're a big fan of the classics, man. I know you're a big fan of the classics. Like, uh, I've always seen you post things about uh, uh, certain, um, you know, actors or or films on your on your Facebook page, and it's really cool. Because, uh, like, I, I personally, I've never seen some of these movies that I have always wanted to watch, but I never did sit down and watch them. You know, like I've never seen the Maltese Falcon, but I'd love to see it. You know, yeah, see, these are films that. You know, I mean, yeah, they were made, you know, 40 years before I was born, believe it or not. I mean, you know, but what amazes me about those films is that no matter how many times I've seen Casablanca or The Maltese Falcon or Citizen Kane or any one of these films, I can watch them again and again. And they don't get old, okay? And they... You know, they don't offer up car explosions and they don't offer up a lot of, you know, well, any blood or gore or any nudity, etc. They tell stories. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I, as a viewer, I love a good story. I like a storyline that's going to take me on a journey. And uh, that's what the classics do. Yeah. So I find myself mesmerized. Plus, it seems that there was a, uh, a certain magic that the actors of that era brought to their performances. It's how they you know? felt, you know? Yeah. It was, it was a, uh, a signature style that each of them had. Yeah. You know, and uh, I think that's why we have actors that from that era that we refer to as legends, you know, like Humphrey Bogart or right. you know, uh, Jimmy Cagney, James Stewart. I mean, they, you cannot, you can close your eyes and, the minute you hear any one of them speak, you know who they are. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I don't know. I think that it was just a, a magical area, a magical era. Excuse me. Yeah, it speaks. Uh, it speaks leaps and bounds of the the you know those classic films. You know how good yeah. they really were. And yeah, I think and think about it like this is like like nowadays there's so much stuff that we can do. It's like the music industry. Like there's so much things that we could do now in the music industry that was never been able to be done. Like when, even when the Beatles were writing records, like when they wrote records, they had to use full orchestras and people coming in there to play these odd instruments and to do the things that they wanted to do on a record. Now you just, you can go in there with a keyboard and a computer and you can do the same thing. It's yeah, you're right. And, uh, it's, you know, it's just like, when Orson Welles made Citizen Kane. Right. You know, there were certain shots that he wanted to get that were at that time considered technically impossible. Technically impossible to get. This is back when cameras were, you know, One the shot. size of a small Toyota. Yeah, right? yeah. You got <laughs> and, a head-on uh, shot and that's about it. There's one scene in Citizen Kane where he wanted literally the camera to shoot directly upwards at Joseph Cotton, at Orson himself, who was directing and appearing in the film, he wanted that from the floor up shot, okay, to sort of give this dramatic effect for the audience later. And uh, obviously, you know, the cameras were so large, there was no way to get them to the floor. 
they were shooting on a sound stage. Uh, so what Orson Welles did was he waited until the upper brass had gone home, and he called all of his crew and Joseph Cotton, who was another great actor that you probably never heard of, but he was a great actor. Uh, he called them back that night. Okay, we're talking middle of the night. <laughs> and he brought in three workers, and he had them literally, on the soundstage, he had them literally chip away at the concrete floor. Wow. Six feet down, so he could then have all of his crew lower the camera down into this gigantic gorgantuan hole in the floor to shoot upwards and get that shot. That's amazing. Now, the next day at RKO, the upper brass, when they found out there was a big hole in one of their soundstage floors, they were not happy. But Orson got that shot, and he had to be innovative to get it. He was working with limited, you know, old-school technology. Yeah, But he got it. And, you know, you made, that, what you said made me think of this. Uh, you know, there's so much that we can do now that, whether it be in music or in movies, so much that can be done, yet, or it can be done with much more ease. And I don't see it being done. No, 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 no. It's not. You it's know, not. Uh, you know, one thing I think is missing from a lot of, and I'm not being critical by any means, from a lot of, you know, not all, but some independent films, you know, lighting effects, something as simple as that, that the shadows and the lighting mm-hmm. and the things that are easy to do, okay? I'd love to see more of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. Because, you know, there's just little nuances that visually can take a scene to the next level in either suspense intensity or you know make it more mysterious whatever it becomes more visually intriguing okay uh, and I say the same thing too you know you, you're right with music I mean uh, I listen to <laughs> excuse me I listen to a lot of the uh, the old classic Beatles tunes okay yeah. but I go further back too and I listen to music that my parents listen to. And I have to mention this guy, even though he's crazy and he's in prison, Phil Spector. Okay. Oh yeah, lunatic. Lunatic, but great Phil sound. Spector, great music producer, though. Yeah, he he launched Spector Records, and he decided he wanted to sound like he wanted the sound for his records and his artists that was like no other. So he decided that on every recording he would have two of everything. Okay. Yeah, he's the one who came up with double tracking. No, he bought it. He he brought in two drummers, two sets oh, of drums. Oh wow! Oh, I didn't, I didn't I didn't know that. Okay. I mean, it, there was two. Literally, he would bring the whole orchestra in. Only he would bring in the equivalent of two orchestras. <laughs> wow. Or two bands. He had you know, if there was supposed to be just the one sax player, he had two. If there was one piano, he had two piano players. If there was you know, and it went on. And uh, in doing that, he created what was called the Wall of Sound. Yeah. It, you know, and he became famous for that until he, until he shot the actress, you know, and yeah. became more famous for that. Yeah, he got more famous for, for killing somebody like an mm-hmm. idiot. But bottom line, you know, uh, whereas people used to, as you said, as you said, people used to have to be really innovative, come up with ways to create a new sound. In music now, just like in films, with the technology, you know, 
wow, things can be done, you know, with much more ease and simplicity, yet it's not always being done. I don't know why, you know? Uh, who knows, man? People, I think it's because it's, it's everything, everything tries to evolve. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to go to the next big thing. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're trying to, but they're, they're losing out the nuances and the, and the stuff from the old stuff. They should use the older effects and the new effects to make something even better. You know, I agree. I agree. You know, to me, it's, it would be wiser. And, they, and what do I know? But Hey, you know, you take, you take the best of what's old and build upon it with what's new and available. Exactly. You know? And then you create something that's, I would think even better, you know, whether it be music or movies or, or whatever. Yeah, I agree with you, hundred percent. And uh, yeah, so, you know, but I do want to mention though before you guys end up wrapping up here. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, this other film I did in Ohio, uh, it's called Fun F U N Fun, and uh, I did this film for Holiday, a Perfect Holiday Productions, and it, it I will tell you. I had a blast working with these people, and it's one to look for. It's forthcoming shortly. Um, yeah. I've already seen it. They sent me a Blu-ray copy. Uh, I did the film with Robbie Barnes. She's a tremendous actress. She produced and directed and you name it. Uh, and basically, it's, it, it's a film where I play, I play her father, and... Uh, she is accosted, assaulted, and uh, as a father, naturally, I, I want to go on the warpath to save her, but she rises up, and uh, <laughs> let's just say that, you know, she illustrates in that film that hell hath no fury like a woman who's pissed off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she takes care of business. But... You bet, you bet. So, And it's not a rape revenge movie. It's It's very unique, and it's... It's a, it's got the twists and the turns. And uh, when I got the script, I read it and I thought, now this is a cool movie. I love films that present strong women. Okay. Yeah. And this film did do that. And and, it, and when I watched it, I mean, I, I call Robbie that night, you know, uh, up in Ohio, I, and I said, it was everything the script, you know, initially when I read it was, and and that. So, I really want people to go out when they can and check check out that film. Yeah, man, yeah. I, I'm excited to check it out. Um, uh, just it's, it's gory, it's gory, it's violent. It's got all the things in there that you would. Yeah, it's got all if the goodies. A horror hound and a gore hound, like I am. It's all the things that you you want, you know. And uh, but it, it's different too. That's awesome, man. Well, Parrish, man, look, I am so glad that you came back on, man. It was fun to having you back on. Finally, we need to do this again, like sooner this time you know instead of well it was almost a year you know yeah it's been a while but i enjoy talking to you guys i know we get off topic uh, that's uh, the point man that's that's why i said it's this it's about you know you're on the phone with your friends that's what we do exactly exactly and i appreciate you guys having me back and uh always always a good always a good time talking with you of course man um rum wanted me to let you know that he is so sorry that he he had to get off because he said he said to remind you don't ever step on your microphone (laughs) (laughs) yeah that could be a problem i'm sure yeah yeah Yeah, well well give him my best and uh, and again i i hope he's listening in i enjoy with, with rum and uh and always with you wayne and uh 
And hey, keep doing what you're doing. I appreciate you guys for all that you do. You support the uh, the great horror film genre. You are out there for the music scene. I know you guys are making music. And and you know, listen, you know, I appreciate y'all. I Thank do. you, Paris. I, that means a lot, man. So, go forth and do more of what you do because you do it best. Hell yeah. Uh, before we get off here, dude, let everybody know where they can find you if they want to um, check you out on Facebook or, or wherever. Uh, you, can, you, you can, yeah, you can check me out on Facebook. Uh, I think I hit my limit. You know, I think it's stupid that Facebook has that limit. It, it's, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm on Facebook, parishrandall.facebook.com. Uh, you can Google me. Uh, just Google Parish Randall and uh, all the stuff will come up. Uh, uh, interviews as well, my website uh, and uh, all kinds of, you know, information. Uh, and, and, you know, like I said, just, uh, just know if you're listening out there to all the folks that, that will tune into this, hopefully, uh, man, they are the reason for the season. I say it every time with every interview, you know, it's, it's, it's because of and thanks to those folks who support what we do that I have a job. And I I I, I enjoy pleasing them. And they're the reason I do it. And That's I love awesome. them. And uh guys, if you ever get a chance to meet Parrish at any convention or anything, please go talk to him. Parrish is the nicest dude ever. Like, he's just the coolest guy. And every time I see him out, he's, like, willing to take a picture with every single person in the world, man. It's great. Yeah, I don't I, – I, you want to tell you what? Again, it goes back to, you know, if somebody wants to take the time to talk with me, if they want a photo with me, hell yeah. You know, I'm on yeah. – uh, I'm not one of these – I'm not one of these people that's, that's going to charge anybody to take a photo. Right. Uh, that, that, uh, again, hey, everybody can do what they want to do. Other actors may charge. I, I that I don't. Uh, and I guess I'm just, you know, I don't know. I, I I realize that if it weren't for the fans of the genre who support us, again, I reiterate, we wouldn't get to do what we love to do. Yeah. So, you know, man, I I'm just honored that people, you know, even care enough come over to my table at any convention and say hello so absolutely if you're at a convention and uh anybody out there and and i'm there hey come by and talk with me i enjoy i enjoy meeting everyone there you go people well parish again man thank you so much for coming on um uh, again rum like i said he said sorry and he also said thank you he sent me a message to make sure i thanked you <laughs> um, absolutely so, ladies and gentlemen, I was your host, Wayne. Rum is gone, and you know that gentleman is Mr. Parrish Randall. So, uh, as always, remember to keep it, keep it, keep it. Adieu, adieu, parting is such sweet sorrow. Go ahead and run. Run home and cry to mama. Get the fuck out. Okay, then. That's it. <laughs>